we're going to talk about complaining. I've just said a bunch of positive things, and now we shift gears into uh, complaining. So hopefully we're on, as the graphic shows, hopefully we're on more the solution mindset than the problem. But looking at, he's excited, looking at four secrets of a biblical non-complainer. Now, I realize I don't think non-complainer is a word, but I never understood it. Now, I minored in English education in college. I'm a grammar nerd, so you can hate me for that if you want. Now, what you'll probably do is look real closely at the PowerPoint I put together and find like six mistakes, and that's okay. Don't judge me too much. Still pay attention. If you do find some, you can tell me about them later. But uh, I, I enjoy grammar, but I never understood how teachers would tell you, oh, that's not a word. You can't use it. And then they would praise Shakespeare and put him up on this big pedestal and then tell you he coined all these words. Yeah. I'm like, if he's this great English guy and he made up words, why can't I? So made up one word tonight. We got non-complainer. You get the meaning of it. But looking at four secrets of it from Psalm 95, and I'll be honest, it was several weeks ago that God laid the idea of complaining on my mind as something he wanted me to dig into and to preach about. And at first, that was it. I think this is at least the second or third text I considered prayerfully, and this is the one God led me to. But the most thrilling and surprising thing is in my study, it has not been what I thought it would be. I thought as I dug into biblical passages that had anything to do with complaining, it would be don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and that's it. Just don't complain, thou shalt not complain. I knew it wasn't one of the Ten Commandments worded that way, but uh, just don't complain. But so much of what the Bible says about murmuring and complaining is that we don't have to because God's so good. So much of it is so focused on God. And in fact, our message is all about being a non-complainer and how we can do that. But it's really just about God being so good that we don't have to. Let's look at Psalm 95. And I'll just be honest, we'll read the whole Psalm, all 11 verses, but it's down to verse 7. Do we hear even the faintest whiff of anything complaining related? Because so much of that is about our relationship with God. Verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that, I, that they should not enter into my rest, or into the promised land there. Psalm 106, another great psalm that captures a lot of this. Verse 24 uh, through 26 says it this way about the same thing. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured. There's our idea of complaining, just elaborating a little more on what's going on. But murmured in their tents, and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them, to overthrow them in the wilderness. Now we'll dig into the book of Numbers briefly in just a bit and look at some more of the background. But the, the short takeaway before we even dive in is they did missed out on so much that God had already worked out because they wanted to control it. They couldn't understand it, so they missed out. They complained. They disobeyed. God had everything laid out, everything worked out. And instead of resting in how amazing he is, they missed out. 
But as I look at my own life, I don't want to brag, but it's just us and those watching online, and this message isn't on humility, so let me brag on myself, something I'm really good at. I am really good at complaining. I, you can tell I'm not actually proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. But I'll just be honest, I'm good at it. I have an amazing, wonderful, blessed life, a perfect Savior, amazing family, I mean, wonderful wife and children, a great church, great ministry I'll be involved in here, and a million other good things. And yet if I try at all to find something to complain about, I can do it. I'm that good, not good at all. I think you'd agree, and maybe that's you as well. Boy, it is so easy, no matter what else, to find something to complain about. So, so much of this message is, yes, we should not be complaining, and yes, if you are complaining a lot, stop. But here's why. It's because God's so good, and the things we're complaining about, he's got a better plan. I don't like everything that, that goes on. I'm sure you don't either, and it can be tempting to complain, but a lot of times it'll be, I don't know how this is going to work out, and I don't like it, and it's like, wait, God's got it worked out. We could rest in Him, and so often it's just that choice. We don't need control over a situation. We need God. God is always constantly in complete control of our circumstances. We need to stay so close to Him that our circumstances, if they get difficult, they immediately drive us to Him, drive us to pray, not to complain. But as I've already admitted, that's not always my first response. And Psalms, like this Psalm 95, they give us such an amazing look. They don't gloss over the difficulties. They don't ignore them. They don't ignore the harsh realities and difficulties of life. Instead, they show us how to survive them, how to keep doing what we should be doing, and how to keep our focus where it should be, even in the middle of whatever difficulties life throws at us. I hope we leave tonight not just thinking, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain. But instead, I hope we leave tonight focusing so much on God, worshiping Him, seeing Him for who He really is, that we don't even want to complain. Maybe uh, the whole way here, and none of my business, but maybe the whole car ride here, you complained. And your spouse can, can elbow you if that's you. I, I won't look. But, uh, I mean, maybe that's where, maybe that's how you walked in the door. Or maybe you weren't verbalizing it, but it was in your heart. Maybe that's where you came here now. But, boy, as we go through Psalm 95, I hope as we reflect on God that that complaining will not even be a temptation anymore. And really, as we go through Psalm 95, it's just worshiping our Savior. We don't have to complain because He's so good. Let's take time to remember who God is as we look at these four secrets of a biblical non-complainer. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for being so good. A few short minutes here won't even come close to sufficing for everything that you do for us, everything that you had done up to that point for the nation of Israel and we're doing, uh, looking to give them their own land and a great land, one they realized was great but complained about the difficulties. And how often do you have an amazing plan? Maybe we don't even know what it is. Maybe we don't have a clue what you're doing. But if we know that you're the one doing it and you're always in control, may we rest right there and stay focused on that. Forgive us for our complaining. Help us, each of us, to make any changes in our hearts, respond to your Holy Spirit during this message, and just have a great time worshiping you and having our focus shift maybe from problems that we are tempted to complain about to just worshiping you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First real secret, and not really a secret, but first secret of a non-complainer, a biblical one, is to focus on God and not problems. Now, I worded it as a biblical non-complainer. There are some people who you'll never hear a complaint come out of their mouth because they hold it all inside, 
and it bottles up and it bottles up and then it bottles up and it, it blows either in their health going out or them blowing up and being violent or who knows, maybe digging into a depression they could have avoided if they would have dealt with the things biblically and, and a lot there, of course. But let's be biblical non-complainers, focusing on God, not the problems. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. It's almost like this psalm is saying uh, that if we'll get the first part right, we won't even have to worry about the second part. And if you find yourself where I have often in my life, more often than I care to admit, found myself in the complaining and the worrying and even the disobeying of God. If we find ourselves there, let's get back to really verses 1 through 7. Let's get back to this first part where we can just focus on God. And those complaints, it's not a matter of just holding our mouth shut or saying, I'm thinking it, but I'm not going to say it. No, it's a matter of, I don't even want to care about complaining, even internally about those problems. I want to tell people about my God. I don't, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on God. So let's take a few minutes here and look at the background of this psalm, the history behind it. And even as we go through, it'll be Numbers 13 if you want to turn there. We'll start in verse 25 in just a moment, Numbers 13, 25. But even as we go through this, where the nation of Israel, those people really blow it. Notice how good God was, how in control, how amazing of a plan they missed out on for those 40 years. Now, I will admit, two weeks ago, we heard a great look um, from Mr. Aiden about 40 years in the future, and Caleb wanted to take that mountain. I very much enjoyed that message, Brother Aiden. And that was when they were able to move in to the promised land there, but they missed out on it. But you look at the background of even Numbers 13, what was going on right before this, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And then God does 10 miraculous plagues, parts the Red Sea, brings them out, swallows the, the enemy up in the Red Sea. They're just amazing things that they had seen God do. And God's leading them into the promised land. And then they get there, and like we often do so much, at least I, I'm often tempted to, it's okay, God's leading me, God's leading me. Whoa, that looks really hard. And instead of, okay, God's leading me, is he good enough? Yeah, he's good enough. It's, how's that going to work? And I understand being curious. I understand being a little scared. But man, instead of just trusting God and keep going one step at a time, they complain and they miss out. In Numbers 13, verse 25, they've just sent out the 12 spies and 10 were bad and 2 were good. I think as Mr. Aiden pointed out two weeks ago, you can feel free to sing that song later if you'd like to. Do you guys know that song? Was that around when you were kids? I'm seeing a couple people nodding. I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you. But uh, it's a good song, Alan. We need, to, we need to sing that one. That was a fun one. Anyway, but in verse 25, it says, And they, the spies, they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Amazing, amazing fruit. I believe in, in a different passage, I believe in maybe Deuteronomy, they talk about uh, the, the grape clusters so big they had to carry it on poles between a couple of guys. I mean, this is just an amazing, amazing land. None of them were like, Wow, God, that's your plan? Oh, great, you're going to give us a land, but it's that land? No, they all were blown away at the goodness of God's plan. 
except for the difficulties. And how often do we miss the goodness that God has planned for us because we're too busy complaining and even disobeying about the difficulties. And it's just like it was here. It's difficulties that God's plan includes those difficulties and includes working them out. And we could just focus on God and the fact that he's got a plan. And instead, it's so tempting to complain about the difficulties. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Anakim, some giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. And as I've heard others say, the electric lights and the mosquitoes bites. Um, you know, you can, you can, it's not in your Bible there. Um, I've heard that put a couple different ways. But uh, the Amalekites dwell in the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. But I love how right away, and we heard a great message on Caleb 40 years later, a couple weeks ago, but in verse 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb saw the same giants, the same walled cities, the same problems. And he's a smart guy. It's not like he's like, yeah, we can do it. He has his focus not in their abilities, but on God's. He's saying, let's go. Let's get after it. Let's be busy about this. And in verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And obviously they served a God who was stronger than all of them and could have moved them in. But we may complain that we don't get to be in control of a situation. I think that's right where they were. But instead, we should praise God that we don't have to be in control of a situation because he is. And they could have rested. If God had come down in a physical form or sent them some magic weapon physically that they could touch, they probably would have been ready to go. But that wasn't what they needed. They just needed to trust God, tragically complained. And in chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 1, Numbers 14, 1, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and really they're murmuring against God. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would that God that we had died... Would, God, that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness, or would, God, that we had died in the wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children, our children should be a prey, as if that's why God brought them out there. I mean, they sound as whiny as some people today. People like me, if I get complaining, I can sound that ridiculous. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Slavery? Torture? Horrible. Anyway, verse 4, And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Boy, just like them, if we would trust easier circumstances more than we trust our loving Heavenly Father, we need to get back to the message of Psalm 95. And so often, if it would be where I see circumstances being bad, and I'm tempted to complain, and then poof, God takes them away. I won't complain. I'll trust. Hey, this is great. But it's the God who could take them away unless he has a better plan. Let's just trust the God who's in control of the circumstances. I really enjoyed uh, Jen and Robbie's song this morning, Behold Our God. Uh, that's a meaningful song that's meant a lot to me for several years. I remember being down with the Tillies uh, down at PCC at a Bible conference, and I heard that song. I think I might have heard it on the radio before that, but that's the first time I really remember it. And it sticks out for several reasons. The group that sang it sang it well. And Pastor Shane Lewis uh, got up, he was the preacher, set to preach right after that, and he asked him to sing it again. And so they did. And then he gets up and preaches a great message on the love of God. Uh, Pastor John said about people remembering the illustration but not the message. I remember both, an illustration he shared and the message he preached. So uh, that message really stuck with me. 
but he had cancer at that point. He's wanting to spend extra moments before he preaches reflecting on beholding his God. And then a little while after that, he did die. And now he's able to be in heaven beholding his God face to face. But he reminded us of the love of God. He reminded us that no matter what's going on, he could have complained. He's there to preach and he's going through cancer treatments. He's there to preach and he's just pastoring his church and doing a great job of it at the church in Alabama from everything I've heard. Just a phenomenal pastor doing a great work. He could have complained. But instead, right before he preaches on the love of God, he wants to spend just a few extra moments focusing on God, helping himself and all of us behold our God anew and afresh. And I enjoyed that opportunity this morning. I think I live-streamed it faithfully, clicked all the right buttons, but I was pretty focused on the song, I'll be honest. How often do we spend hours every week beholding our problems instead of beholding our God? And when we're just so focused on how's this going to work out and how's that and what's going on and if the circumstances could just change, let's focus on the God who doesn't. Those are times whether you listen to the song again or not to just focus on God. Read Psalm 95. Read uh, the other Psalm 126 that I quoted from. Focus on God. It's often when we're out of our comfort zone that we are tempted to complain or we allow God to draw us so close to him that we learn things about him that we never knew. And a lot of times it's those difficult things where, humanly speaking, we got some stuff we could complain about. And there's some stuff that's not easy, and we could, we could spend our time complaining about it. Or we could allow God to draw so close to him that we learn more of him, that we walk through it with him, we learn to trust him more, learn to see how amazing he is as we focus on him. Let's focus on the fact that God is our Savior. Verse 1 describes him as the rock of our salvation. Now, I know this is an Old Testament passage looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to Christ, but it reminds me of the mugs that Pastor John gave the church at Easter. And I loved them. I love the way they look. I mean, great mugs, but I love their simplicity. If you didn't get one, I'm sure we have some more, but we can just look at them and they just simply say risen. Just a simple reminder of the most important thing ever. God is the rock of our salvation. He is the one who sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross, to rise again, to offer each of us salvation. As long as that's true, we can go through whatever else. And that ain't changing, of course. You get the illustration there. But just, I love those mugs, just in their simplicity in so many ways. And I've had some good coffee out of that mug already, so I like that too. But we can focus on the fact that God is our Savior, and he's the rock of our salvation. We can also focus on thanking him for what he's already done, when we're concerned and even tempted to complain about what he's going to do next. It's verses 1 and 2 that say, Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. A lot of times, the best way to focus on how God is going to get us through that is to remember and thank him for how he's already gotten us through that. And really... To use proper hand motions there, it's probably this is our current problem. And, you know, spread my hands as far as I can. That's what he's already brought us through. And there's so much he's already done. That's one of the biggest things that helps me, and I've heard that from others, is when we're worried about this, tempted to complain about this, reflect on everything God's done. Throughout the Bible, throughout Israel, Israel's history, all of it, and then throughout our own lives, he's done so much. Let's focus on him. Man, if Israel had stopped and said, wow, those giants, Anakims, those those are big. Yeah, that's going to be scary. All of those ites, all of those Amalekites, yeah, that's a problem. But so were the Egyptians, and and God whooped them. They they kept fighting back. God whooped them. 
And so it was like, okay, army behind us, Red Sea. This is bad. We're trapped with the army. And then God just parts the sea. We walk across on dry ground. And then he swallows them up. Uh, okay, yeah, he's got this too. And if they would have taken just a moment to reflect on everything he had done and focus on him, they'd have been able to go into the land instead of wandering in the wilderness and dying for 40 years. Sometimes what we have to cling to in difficult times is not, okay, God, I know exactly what you're going to do. You ever been in a situation where you know God's going to do something, but you have no idea what? Sometimes we just need to focus that we know that God's up to something, and because it's God, we know it's something good. We might not know the specifics for a while, but it's going to be something good, something that will bring him glory, something he's chosen to involve us in. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. It's interesting to me. Just recently, the girls, I don't know if your kids were anything like this, they'll get a new toy. And that's the new toy for like a day or a week or five minutes or whatever it is. And then like six months, a year, two years later, like, where's that one toy? And we're like, I haven't seen that thing in forever. I have no idea. And then they'll find it. And it's like brand new. Well, walkie-talkies were that new toy recently. Uh, They wanted to play with the ones yesterday at the work day. We really tried to not let them. So sorry if you didn't hear either girl calling through the walkie system. But they have their toy walkie-talkies. And I've been trying to teach them how to actually use them right, because normally they'll both squeeze the buttons and they'll talk and talk and talk and won't be able to hear each other. And they'll wonder why we got them such a lame toy a while back. And they'll say, no, you got to hold the button, talk, and then let go and listen. But how often, right in the thick of going through something difficult, we want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and God, this is so horrible, and you've got to fix this, you've got to fix this, what's going on, how am I going to do this, and maybe even talking to other people, which there's a place for all of that, but we never take our hands off the button to focus on God, to listen to Him, to read the Bible, to remember everything He's already done, and just to listen. Doesn't work better spiritually for us than those walkie-talkies work for the girls holding the buttons the entire time. Commentator Warren Wearsby writes it this way, We harden our hearts when we see what God can do, but refuse to trust Him so He can do it for us. Wow. Those people of Israel spent 40 years regretting missing out on God's plan. Maybe some of us have spent, I'm only 36, I haven't spent quite 40 years yet, but hopefully none of us have spent 40 years Hopefully not even 40 minutes regretting what we missed out on. But God's a gracious God. If we'll say, okay, God, I've been complaining about this. I haven't been trusting you. I've been focused on my problems instead of you. But starting now, I'm going to focus on you. You've been wanting me to do this, and I've been saying no. I've been too complaining. I've been too worried about the circumstances. No more. God will use that. He'll do amazing things. We can also focus on how big God is, how big his greatness is, not how big our problems are. Verses 2 and 3 of our text say, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord with psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. That's where our focus needs to be. Sometimes life is hard. All the time God is good. Biblical non-complainers focus on God, not problems. Their next secret, biblical non-complainers know how to rest. And obviously the idea of resting in God. Psalm 95.4 says, In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. We can rest because God is in control. (laughs) And if he's in control, that verse mentions a couple things on earth, but other passages of Scripture make it obviously clear that he's in control of the entire universe. If he can control all that, he's got my situation. 
So those are the two of the biggest things that help me when I'm tempted to complain about this, is to remember everything God's done and everything God's in control of. All of a sudden, my problem feels so much smaller. Not that it doesn't matter to God, but that it's nothing for God to solve. He's got it. He'll take care of it. We can trust, we can rest because God is in control. Story goes, in the frigid waters around Greenland are countless icebergs. I think it was last Sunday we heard uh, Brother Brent Rochester preach a message using the illustration of the Titanic hitting one of those icebergs. But some, some are little icebergs and some are gigantic. If you observe them carefully, you'll notice that sometimes the small ones move in one direction while their massive counterparts flow in another. The explanation is simple. I read it. I didn't figure it out, but it's apparently simple. Surface winds drive the little ones, whereas huge masses of ice are carried along by the deep ocean currents. When we face trials and tragedies, it's helpful to see our lives as subjects, subject to two forces, surface winds and ocean currents. The winds represent everything changeable, unpredictable, and distressing, really everything we might be tempted to complain about. But operating simultaneously with these gusts and gales is another force even more powerful. It's the sure movement of God's wise and sovereign purposes, the deep flow of his unchanging love. So you can just simply ask yourself, just between you and the Holy Spirit, and pardon me as I wait, I, got, I don't mean to be gross, but I just might as well be honest. I'm not crying up here. I got sweat dripping into my eye, and it's burning my eye. So, you know, I'm, I'm a, guys can cry. If you're a guy and you cry, I'm all for it. Uh, my wife will tell you I don't cry. She's a little mad at me. Just, just pardon me one more second. She's a little mad at me that I didn't cry while she was walking down the aisle. And I said I didn't cry because I was happy. <laughs> it makes sense to me. I, I don't know. But uh, she, she brings that one up every once in a while, usually with a smile on her face, though. But uh, just ask yourself. You can ask yourself some things about that, too. That, that's fine. But uh, you can ask yourself, which is moving your life more? The unpredictable, changeable circumstances or the fact that God's in control? The fact that we can rest in him. And yes, he's moving us. And just like icebergs can go through some crazy water, he might move us through some crazy circumstances. But he's in control. He's got it. We can also rest because God is the creator. It was in verse 5. It says, the sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land, and obviously everything else as well. It's not about trying to convince ourselves, ourselves that everything's under our control. You ever do that? Try to figure out a way that you got it all together? And you know you don't have it all together, and there ain't no way you're getting that bill paid, or you're going to figure out a new job, or you're going to figure out how that circumstance or that sickness is going to be resolved. You got nothing. I got nothing. It's not about finding a way to convince ourselves that we've got it under our control and complaining if we can't figure that out. It's good to ask God, even beg God, to change our circumstances if that's his will, part of his perfect plan. But let's always trust him that he's got it under control. Often difficult times are when we learn to trust more, unless we miss that growth opportunity by instead focusing on our issues and complaining. Boy, the people of Israel could have had probably the most fun military campaign in history, winning battle after battle after battle 40 years earlier if they just would have rested in God. And I wonder how many times we were supposed to go through some of the worst stuff that life can throw at us and still be at rest, still be at peace. And instead, we spend it complaining and wondering and questioning God and even drifting away from God. And we could have rested and drawn so close to God in such a meaningful way. I don't know where we're going, but I know who we're following. 
I don't know how it'll all work out, but I know the one who does. Read it this way, just this afternoon, actually. God has placed you where you're at in this very moment for a reason. Remember that and trust that he's working everything out. Biblical non-complainers know how to rest. Biblical non-complainers also know where to start. And this would apply whether it's starting each day, great way to start each day, or just starting maybe a new difficult circumstance, or restarting a difficult circumstance biblically. Maybe you've been whining and complaining the entire way through, and you're realizing now, okay, God, this isn't the way. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to focus on you. I want a fresh start. I want to start the way Psalm 95 describes. Verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. I was very, I'll just be honest, I was very surprised in starting to prepare and study for this message on complaining. I thought it was just going to be, uh, you know, stop complaining and, you know, you're a spiritual bum for complaining and that was what the Holy Spirit, and there is some of that. I got convicted in my life, but so much of it, it was just, wow, God, you're amazing. And that's where I get to start this message is just focusing on how amazing you are. And it was like the deeper I dug, just the more of that there was. And realizing no matter whether it's a day or whether it's, you know, a circumstance, this is the way to start by worshiping God. And in preparing for a me- to preach a message on complaining, I had some of the sweetest times with God that I've had in a while. And it's just been an amazing blessing. We can start with God in humble prayer and worship. No better way to start a day or a season of difficulty than by worshiping God, bowing down before Him, kneeling before the Lord our Maker. It was interesting. Before uh, the farmer behind us uh, cleared out those trees, and aren't they doing a great job? Man, that looks great out there. I'm loving my view and the church's view. I'm a little selfish. I claim that part as my view. You can share it all you want. But, uh, man, it's just beautiful to see so much more of the mountains. But before they cleared all of that out back there, uh, we couldn't see the mountains as much. No trees in the ways, and I've driven around and hiked and been in those mountains and all of that. But from our backyard and from the church, we couldn't see them as much. Now, the mountains were there. Mountains haven't changed. But the trees getting removed help us see them better. And so often when we're fo- so focused on those trees of bad circumstances and difficulties, we're, we're not resting in God. We're not starting each day by worshiping Him. And then when we realize, wow, we can move ahead in this. We can start by worshiping God, and we ignore those trees of difficulties. We see that God's been there all along. (laughs) Those mountains haven't moved. The view of them hasn't changed. Just our being able to notice them from this size of that tree row. I really do appreciate what the farmer's doing there and getting ready to put a new fence in. He's doing a phenomenal job. The view has improved because the trees are out of the way. And maybe there's some trees of complaining and, and looking at circumstances the wrong way. And we just need to start every day in every situation with humble prayer and worship to God. We can also start with God for daily provisions and leadership. Psalm 95, verse 7, the first part says, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. It's a good life to be a sheep. Now, I've never been a sheep, don't get me wrong. I'm not about to make some weird admission. But, uh, you know, we got some sheep at the farm next door. Those sheep have it pretty easy. They got a fence around their property that keeps predators and my dog out. It's a good life. I mean, Bella might bark at them, but it's from this side of the fence. And, you know, their wool gets too thick. It's heavy. The farmer shears the the wool. They they need something to eat. They've got food. They need water. They've got water. It's getting nighttime. More coyotes and things coming out. They've got a a barn. It's pretty easy to be a sheep. Unless you try to be the shepherd as a sheep. 
We're to be sheep. Sheep need to trust, not complain. When uh, my brother was just becoming a teenager, I was still a, child, a kid, I'm three years younger, and uh, he went to a teen camp, and we got to go pick him up at one point, and uh, we walked in, we got to be a part of a chapel service, and there was a silly song, I don't remember most of it, but I remember the main lyric of the chorus was, I just want to be a sheep. And I think they bat a few times. I, I won't even go there. won't even try. But uh, they, they would do that. And it's just wanting to be a sheep, wanting to start with God and realize, I'm not the shepherd. I don't have to know everything that's going on. I don't have to see the end. I don't have to know where we're going. I know who does. I know who's in control. And just get to rest. The phrase that we can remember is, it's up to the shepherd. It's not up to us. Biblical non-complainers know where to start. And finally, biblical non-complainers know what to avoid. As we get to Psalm 95, the second part of verse 7, comes the good warning about not doing what Israel did. It says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not found not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. First thing we can avoid is just murmuring and complaining about the size of the situation instead of trusting the God who's bigger. God is in perfect control over whatever we want to complain about. There's a better way than just to complain. And I think if we'll remember, hey, whatever I'm trying to complain about, God's already got a plan to work it out. We'll be less likely to complain. We'll have a lot more enjoyable time, even going through difficulty. It's not about the size of our issue. It's about the greatness of God. We love Romans 8.28. Probably most of you could quote it, but it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And if that applies to you, that verse doesn't apply to everyone. It was a shocking day when I realized there, there's a little more to that verse that everything works out for good for everyone. No, it's to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If that's you, and I imagine that's everyone in here, then why do we act like we've got to complain every time things get difficult? No, God's going to bring good out of this. Wow, God closed that door. That means he's got something better to do. It's amazing when God says no to something that seems really, really good. That's exciting. Doesn't always feel like it, but that's exciting because he's got something even better. I've seen God tell me no to some really good stuff before. Maybe you have as well. And then I've even gotten to see some of the even better he's given us and given me. Hope you have as well. And the exciting thing is, when we get to heaven, I think there's going to be a lot of what I just describe as light bulb moments. You ever see that where it's like finally the light bulb goes on? Uh, you ever tell someone something and that light bulb didn't come on, they didn't get what you were saying, and then maybe five minutes later, boom, it comes on. It's great. I think in heaven, God's going to pull back that veil a little bit. We're going to see a little bit of maybe even everything, but at least a little bit of what he was doing. And so many things that we were complaining about, God's going to show us, wow, that's what I was doing. We're going to be like, oh, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Good job, God. Let me worship you here. That was great. I thought that was horrible. I thought that was the worst thing ever, and it was amazing. I thought my life was ruined because you said no to that, and you were doing that? That's awesome. Some he shows us here on earth. Others we'll see in heaven. Boy, it's easy to murmur about the size of a situation. We also need to avoid looking for the cloud in every silver, silver lining. You ever meet people, they're good at finding the silver lining in every cloud, and you just will be like, I'm really bummed right now, I'm really discouraged, stop being so positive. But then there's the people where, you know, there might be a little cloud, big old silver lining, they're going to find that cloud no matter what's going on. And I've already admitted that I've got some skill in that area, unfortunately. 
easy to get good at finding the problem instead of the solution, just focusing on the God who has it. Funny story goes, I don't think it's true, but that a man was marooned on a desolate island. After he'd been there for five years, he was found and rescued. As he climbed into the rescue boat, the curious rescuers noticed three uh, grass huts. We thought you were alone. Why are there three huts? They asked. The man replied, the first hut is my home. The second is my church. What about the third hut? Oh, that's the church I used to belong to. (laughs) Hopefully not true. I really hope not. I hope not. It's easy to find problems anywhere, even everywhere. Let's get better at focusing on God, avoiding those times. So you can ask yourself, do you see problems in every solution or solutions in every problem? And I'm not saying by solutions that you better see the specifics. But we can see the God who's got the specifics under, under his control. And we can avoid assuming that what God is doing is wrong, even before what we see he's doing. I think that's unfortunately what the people of Israel did. If they would have just hung on a little longer, I assume that would have been, you know, the battles basically in the order they were 40 years later, and God would have done this, and God would have done that, and they would have been able to build their trust in a tangible way in God because he had done even more for them. But instead they said, well, nope, there's there's problems with that. It must be wrong. That can't be what God wants. We should run back to Egypt where there was nothing but problems. Horrible life they wanted to run back to. But how often do we get tempted to complain before we even give God a chance to show us that he's got it, that he's got a perfect plan. They forgot God and started thinking it was up to them, their abilities, their resources. And I think we often complain because we're not equal to our circumstances when God wants us to simply trust him through the circumstances. Biblical complainers know what to avoid. So for us, when we face difficult times where it'd be easy to complain, let's decide that no matter what, we will faithfully serve God No matter what, we'll use whatever happens, whatever God does, whatever he allows us to go through, that we'll use it to bring him glory. No matter what, we'll stay focused on him. Then, it'll be the easiest, most natural thing in the world to not complain. It'll be easy, even in the middle of a difficulty, to praise God. Uh, Miss Jen uh, has been keeping up with uh, a girl she knows whose four-year-old was in a very bad accident um, several weeks back, but uh, we've kind of kept the teens updated. Uh, But uh, her her four-year-old son uh, was swinging at a birthday party on a tree swing. He fell, tree branch fell on top of him, hit him in the head. Uh, Very severe brain damage. Uh, It seems, praise God, it seems like circumstances are getting a little better. He's becoming more responsive. I believe it's this week he starts some rehab, some good things happening. But throughout it, she starts every Facebook update. Eventually, she gets to the, here's an update on Nahum, the little boy. But she starts every one of them by by just praising God, saying what God's doing in her life and through her life. And then she ends every one of them with like a hymn. I'm like, man, you're going through a horrible situation. And you seem less likely to complain than I am going through this little thing. It's amazing. If we start with the right view of God, our circumstances are clearly under his control And if they're good, we can praise him. If they're bad, we can still praise him for who he is and allow him to use those difficult difficult circumstances to still be for his glory and his honor and for our good. Let's pray. Father God, you're a great God. (laughs) I'm sure if we went around the room, even asked those watching on live stream, you know, what's going on? What could you be tempted to complain about? There'd be some big stuff. There'd be some discouraging things. We don't have to try hard to, to find difficulty to complain about. But we don't have to try hard to realize that you're a great God. I pray for each of us when we're tempted to complain, even when we're not, 
tempted to complain, to take the time to reflect on you, how great and awesome of a creator and a controller of the universe you are, and that you're in control of every situation. You can do everything that you want to do, even without us, but you choose to involve us in lives that we can serve you and bring you glory, and I pray that we'll do it. I pray that you'll strengthen us. Do help everyone going through difficult circumstances. In your perfect time, according to your perfect plan, I pray for easier circumstances, for answered prayers, and uh, for things to improve in circumstances. But whether they do now or in the future or not at all, according to your plan, I pray that we'll praise you, we'll stay focused on you, and instead of complaining about difficult circumstances, we'll be just bursting at the seams to tell others about you and how awesome you are. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed.